What is? What is? What is? What is biblical counseling? Biblical counseling will grow you from brokenness to wholeness. The light bulbs are going off in my head. <laughs> this is like deep. I just haven't thought of it that way. It's mind blowing to me. I don't know if I've ever had anybody put it that plainly to me before. All this time I've been going to church, this never resonated with me. This is Transformed. And now your host, Assistant Professor of Biblical Counseling at the Masters University and Certified Biblical Counselor, Dr. Greg Gifford. Welcome back to Transformed. My name is Dr. Greg Gifford, and I have the privilege of being your host. Today, I am super excited about this series because it's probably a series that I use like 30 times a week. No hyperbole here. The reality is that conflict resolution is something that we all use on a regular basis. And maybe we do that in a way that's helpful, and maybe we do it in a way that's not as helpful as it should be. This is the second episode in a series as we're talking through how do we be peacemakers individuals that can approach conflict in a way that honors the Lord and blesses other people. If you were here last episode, I introduced the first aspect of resolving conflict and resolving it in a way that is biblical so that interpersonally we can grow through this, be reconciled. And and numero uno, the first thing that we want to establish in conflict is that our goal in conflict is to glorify God. Never forget that. Never forget that the goal of conflict resolution is to glorify the Lord. And that means that conflict provides an opportunity to do that. So it prevents us from being scared of it. It prevents us from being hesitant to engage in it when we see that, you know what, conflict can actually help us glorify the Lord and it can strengthen relationships around us. Today, I want to introduce the second principle from Peacemakers. Remember, some of these are coming from Ken Sandy's work, The Peacemaker. And he introduces the next principle as being this. Are you ready for it? It comes from Matthew chapter 7. In order to be successful resolvers of conflict, we must be willing to get the log out of our own eye. Getting the log out of your own eye is a way of saying that I need to consider how am I contributing to this conflict? In what ways? What does it look like that I'm doing? So if you have a Bible, and I hope that you do, I'd like you to grab it and open it up to Matthew chapter 7. If you're driving right now or occupied, let me just read this for you. The principle of getting the log out of your own eye comes from this particular passage. So in Matthew 7 verse 1, it says, Judge not that you be not judged, For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So consider what Jesus is saying for a second. This is a passage that's used off to remind us that we should not condemn others, that we should not be the final judge of others. Sometimes it's even weaponized by individuals that would say, hey, look, don't judge me. Only God can judge me, verse 1 and 2. And that's true in the sense of we should not be pronouncing condemnation on folks. And a Christian's goal is to never be condemnatory. Uh, That's not our lane, technically. That's God's lane. In 1 Corinthians 4, Paul says, we will all give an account to the Lord, so we should seek to live to please him. 
but we should be evaluative. And other parts of the scripture where you see us evaluating the fruits of a tree or evaluating a lifestyle or the results of a lifestyle, those are evaluative, not condemnatory. So in verse three, the emphasis is on addressing your own personal sins before you try to help someone else with their personal sins. So why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye and you do not notice the log that is in your own? Uh, that's It's funny because sometimes we really do have this ability to notice the small incremental, it's a small sawdust-like issue in someone else's life, and we have flagrant problems, blatant problems in our own life. You see, Jesus is using this hyperbolic statement to say, hey, this seems kind of silly, doesn't it? Why would you notice the sawdust and you're not addressing the telephone pole that's in your own eye? Well, naturally, if you understood the gravity of what he's saying, you would say, of course, I have to be able to remove this beam from my eye before I would offer any level of care and help to someone who has sawdust in their eye. That's what Jesus is saying. Take the log out of your eye before you can help your brother with the speck in their eye. So if you're not willing to address your own personal faults, then you're not able to actually go to another person and say, hey, you got a speck in your eye. You should clean that out or it's going to irritate or it's irritating me. That principle is something that's integral in conflict resolution. So think of conflict resolution this way. When we have experienced interpersonal disagreement that has led to a conflict, I am not in a position of speaking to you about it unless I am, first of all, willing to address the log in my own eye. So if you're, if you're stuck, gridlocked with an individual in disagreement, what is the first step that you have to take? I have to commit to glorifying the Lord in all of this. That's the plan. It's not to get what I want. It's not to get an outcome that's desirable and comfortable to me. It's none of that. Number two, I have to be able to address any ways that I'm contributing to this conflict. Get the log out of your own eye. Now, go ahead and turn over to Philippians chapter 2, but this is going to be the idea of humility. Are you humbly addressing any of the areas that you are contributing to this potential problem? If you are unwilling to address the ways you are potentially contributing, then you are not ready to go to that person and to talk about it. So there is a, an important second step. If we are unwilling to address how we might be contributing to this, then we're not ready to go and talk to them about it. Let me tell you why I'm saying might be contributing or unwilling to address how we could be contributing. Because I, I know I've lived long enough. I've been in conflict personally. I've counseled those in conflict. I've lived long enough to know that, you know, not every conflict is a shared responsibility and there's a shared participation. Sometimes there is conflict where a person is just being very unreasonable and everyone is doing their best to work with them, but that one individual is just belligerent to a certain degree. I, I do know that. And yet, even when we think that might be the scenario, we must have the humility to say, well, am I doing something to contribute to their frustrations right now? That is humility. That is us being willing to get the log out if indeed there is a log. This is not to say 
that there is always a way that you and I are contributing to this conflict. You see, some of us, as you're listening to this, you are very quick to apologize and you're very quick to own things that you have not done. Well, as as nice as that may seem, technically I cannot apologize for something that I did not do or I cannot seek forgiveness for something that I did not do. In fact, that may even be a form of us being a peace faker. Oh, I'm so sorry for doing that. Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to upset you. Oh, I'm so sorry. And if we default to those types of responses when we legitimately haven't done anything wrong, that is not what Matthew 7 is calling us to do. Humility doesn't mean that we own all of the faults of others as well. It means that we're willing to address our own faults. So to fall on the relational sword, to throw yourself on the relational hand grenade just simply for the sake of keeping the peace is not biblical. It is not getting the log out of your own eye. That's not your log and you can't remove it from your own eye. So Matthew 7 is saying, look, you have to be willing to address any logs that are there. And if you are unwilling to at least pause and say, am I contributing to this conflict? Then you are not ready to go to the third step, which will be to actually talk to the person about it. Let me show you this. The Philippian church was actually a a really healthy church. This church is said to be one of the only partners with Paul in the ministry. Chapter one, chapter four, Paul is going to commend them, yet they still have disagreement in the church. Chapter two suggests this. In chapter four, Paul is going to appeal for two women in the church to be in agreement. Chapter 2 says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Did you see the emphasis there? Same mind, same love, full accord. There is some level of disagreement taking place in the Philippian church body, and Paul is writing to remind them to fight for unity, preserve the unity of the faith. That's what Paul tells the Ephesians in Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. So Philippians, you guys need to work on the unity of your church. How are you going to do this? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. How do you resolve conflict? How do you fight for unity? You have to be able to put yourself second and put others before yourself to consider them as being more important than you. Take their perspective in consideration. Listen carefully to what they have to say. Seek to understand their frustrations, not only to understand them to be able to combat or say something, that's not an appropriate way to understand, but to understand to help find a solution that blesses them. In conflict, when we're having relational disagreement, how do we promote unity? We do that through humility. And a humble person is willing to say, if I'm contributing to this conflict, I am open to addressing the ways that I have contributed to it. So we're going to take a short break. Thanks for joining us so far. When we come back, we have a listener question, and then I want to continue picking up with this idea of getting the log out of your own eye. We thank you so much for listening to Transform, the only radio program where anxiety, loneliness, depression, and fear meet the Bible. And I want to take just a moment during this time away before we get back to Dr. Gifford 
to talk about some resources that we have available in the Transformed store at transformed.org. First of all, I want to introduce you to Good and Angry by David Pallison. It is a great resource for folks who are struggling with anger. One of my favorite quotes from this book, Pallison says, quote, anger is living in a world that does not give us what we want in a time frame that we consider acceptable or in a form that we find pleasing. I would recommend that you pick it up. Good and Angry, written by David Pallison, and it's available right now in the Transformed store at transformed.org. Also, I want to take a moment to ask you while you're there at transformed.org, maybe consider becoming a gospel partner. You know, our ministry is committed to helping individuals find solutions to their ailments in scripture and equipping Christians to become biblical counselors. And we also exist to preach the gospel, teach others to preach the gospel, and strengthen the local church. And we rely on the support and the kindness and the generosity of individuals much like you to continue producing Transformed and all of our other resources. So if you're able, would you please consider becoming an ongoing monthly gospel partner? You can find all of the information that you could ever want and need about what it looks like to become a gospel partner at transformed.org. Also, while you're there, if you've ever thought about becoming a biblical counselor yourself, because we really need more biblical counselors and more biblical counseling ministries in our local churches, I recommend that you pick up Christ-Centered Biblical Counseling by Bob Kelman and Steve Byers. And it's an excellent resource to help you get the journey started. In the book, you'll learn how to counsel others in a way that is Christ-centered, obviously, hence the title Christ-centered biblical counseling. Christ is the ultimate counselor. Christ alone is the one who can meet our deepest needs and bring healing to our wounded souls. And that's just one small nugget of gold you'll find in Christ-Centered Biblical Counseling by Bob Kelman and Steve Byers, available now at transformed.org. Okay, so now that's going to do it for me because I know you're all here to listen to Conflict Resolution, an area of life that we all need strengthened. And we'll get back to Dr. Greg Gifford now as he continues discussing that very thing, Conflict Resolution, here on Transform. Welcome back to Transform. The Bible would tell us that OCD is not a disorder. It is the fruit of wrong believing and wrong theology. And now your host, Dr. Greg Gifford. Okay, welcome back. Thanks for joining us for this episode. We've been talking through the second principle of conflict resolution, and I want to take a short intermission here to address a listener question. This question was submitted to my email, greg at transform.org. And here's the question. It says, my question is, are there any resources for moms raising special, both physical and mentally impaired children? And do you have any suggestions on how I could stop sinning against them in anger and have more grace with them? First of all, I appreciate the heart behind this question. I do think that For those that are raising children with extra needs or special needs, that the body of Christ is super important to surround you with. The pressures that most of us experience for a year or two at the beginning of a child's life when they're very needy and dependent, you as a family often face for years. And so what I would first of all say is get super connected to a local church and be open to their help, their logistical help, uh, relief letting them step in and care, letting them provide meals, letting them help you transport 
I know in our local church here, that's a big ministry that we have is trying to care for those that are doing foster adopt ministries. Secondarily, I would say you have to begin to think through what are the things that have to be done and what are the things that would be nice if they got done and set those biblical expectations on yourself. If you're expecting yourself to be faithful that day to honor the Lord, and if the laundry gets done, then the laundry gets done. That's great. If everybody has a home-cooked meal, that's great. But you know what? A warm-up lasagna will work just fine as well, and everybody will be fed. So as you're working through some of those expectations of yourself, make sure that you're figuring out what does the Lord expect of me and what am I expecting of me? I find we can become impatient with ourselves when we have overly high expectations. Lastly, as you're thinking through how to express greater love and grace and mercy to your kids, I would encourage you to find a balance in your schedule to where you love them and you have this time where you're on in regard to serving them, but that you also have a level of downtime. And if it's afternoon, quiet times, if it's evening where husband can come home and support, if it's uh, half an hour, if it's an hour, day camps throughout the day, things that provide you a level of break, use those times to refresh yourself in the word, to reset yourself, be back in the right mindset. So when you're back with your kids, you have a good attitude and you're excited about it. So let's continue this idea of getting the log out of your own eye. So at the end of our last segment, I said, we have to be humble people. If we want to promote unity, we have to be humble. Let me say it in a negative way. If I'm prideful, I'm not going to be a good resolver of conflict. You know, prideful people don't do anything wrong. You know that, right? It's not their fault. It's your fault. I didn't do anything. It's all you. Humble people aren't necessarily the ones that are who are always at fault, but they're at least willing to own a fault that they may have. A humble person is willing to consider, am I doing something to contribute to this conflict? But a prideful person is going to say, no, it's all you. It's all you. No, this is all your fault. I'm not even going to pause and evaluate if I'm doing anything wrong. This is you. And guess what? That type of individual is never going to resolve conflict. If we are unwilling to take step number two, and I mean this, guys, if we're unwilling to take step number two, then there will not be a resolution of conflict. In fact, you, you may laugh at me for this. I hate brokering conflict resolution uh, because it's often a very tense environment and I'm, I just feel like I'm on edge. So when I find myself having to mediate between individuals, it's like my stomach's churning a little bit. I get like a bead of sweat on my forehead. Everybody's angry with each other. I honestly do not enjoy those types of counselings. And one of the principles that I live and die by when resolving conflict and facilitating that with others is when they come to me and they say, most, it, most of the time it's my church. So it's, hey, Greg, can you help me and my family member talk? On those situations, I say, yes, I can, but we're going to follow these procedures. And if you're unwilling to do step number two, then it ends there. We are not going to meet together with your family member if you are unwilling to ask, how am I contributing to this conflict? And I have had people say, okay, well, I'm, that's not really what I was looking for. I'm not really interested in doing that. And I say, I totally understand. But in order for this to work, you have to humbly ask yourself, how are you contributing to this, if at all? That's how important it is. If you want to really blow things up, then Stick two prideful people in a room who they're not humble, they're not contrite, they're not broken about their sins. Put them in the room and watch how that exacerbates the problem and it doesn't contribute to reconciliation. 
So if we're unwilling to do step number two, we're not ready to go into talk. And I would encourage you, and I would encourage you that are facilitating these types of conversations, do not let a person move to step three if they're unwilling to get the log out of their own eye. And if they are, or if they're saying, hey, what should I do at step number two? Let me give you a couple of practical things for step two. First question, answer this. How am I in action or attitude contributing to this conflict? Actions are things like your words. Maybe you're being distanced, pouty, puffy, loud, violent, aggressive actions. Attitudes are attitudes of bitterness, resentment, attitude where we're internally judging you and frustrated at you. And they can obviously tell your attitude may not have culminated in an action yet. And it will, by the way, just give it time. It will. But your attitude is how you're approaching this entire circumstance. In your attitude, are you honoring the Lord? And in your actions, are you honoring the Lord? And if you're not, the reality is you have to address that before you can go and talk to this individual. When you identify areas that you are contributing to the potential conflict here, then I would say that that is a point of repentance. Repentance is not a biblical term for just I acknowledge it, but repentance means change and turning away from. When I repent of the ways I'm contributing to this conflict, there should be a level of change, meaning I don't talk like that anymore. I'm not talking about you like that anymore. I'm not harboring bitterness in my heart anymore. My attitude has to change. My actions have to change. I can't continue to do those things. I must change. So repentance entails change, and it's twofold. It's change before the Lord. We know that our sins are egregious before God, first of all, and then secondarily toward that individual. We know that we must be able to go to that individual at a certain point. And when we do, we are going to tell them, hey, I know my attitude has not been right in this, and I'm going to confess that with you. So the, the first question is, ask yourself, how am I in action or attitude contributing to this conflict? And if before the Lord, you can't think of anything in all honesty, okay, that's great. That's a lovely place to be. But if you're like, you know what? I have had a rotten attitude about this whole mess. That's it. Like that is the way that you need to get the log out of your own eye. Once you've identified that thing, it's not for self-awareness and knowledge. It's for you to say, okay, I have to repent of this before God and before this individual, the one that I'm in conflict with. So here's the last practical thing that I will give you. When you go to step three, one of the things that I'm going to encourage you to do is to be willing to confess to that individual the ways that you have been contributing to this entire frustrating conflict. Can you imagine how that's going to be so different? Some of us are engaged in conflict and it's all about you, 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 you do this, you don't do this, you always do this. Could you imagine how this would change the whole climate, the whole conversation if we went to someone and we said, you know what, I know we've been arguing here lately. And I want you to know the Lord's really convicted me about my attitude in all of this. And I know that I've been frustrating to you and I'm sorry. Will you forgive me for what I've done? Oh man, that's a game changer. That is the soft answer that is going to turn away wrath. That is the the pleasant word that increases persuasiveness. When we begin to go and confront people with that type of attitude, it's going to change the whole confrontation itself. But if I lead out with, you always do this and you never do this, I shouldn't be surprised if conflict actually is exacerbated because of the way I'm talking to that individual. 
So here is the point. And as we're finishing this segment, I hope you're at least taking mental notes. Here is the point. Humble people are the best resolvers of conflict, not because they own every fault, but because they're willing to own any fault that they've committed. So if you want to be successful in honoring the Lord and resolving conflict that's around you, then think of it this way. I have to address the ways I'm contributing to this. And once I'm ready to do that, doesn't mean I'm excited about it. And it doesn't mean I love it. I never love talking about my sins, but it means I'm willing to do it. And I'm open to doing that. Once I'm open and willing to do that, then I'm ready to talk to that individual about the beef that we have. But if I'm not ready to do that, then I'm not ready to talk to that individual. In fact, I will make it worse if I go to them as a prideful individual. I will injure that relationship, perhaps beyond repair. So listeners, let's be individuals who are humble. God will use our humility more than he will our pride. So let's be humble. Let's be willing to address the things that we're doing to contribute to this. And as we go to individuals, I will explain in our next episode, we're going to confess those things that we've done to contribute and then bring up the ways that we have been sinned against. Thanks for joining us today. Let me pray for you guys that God would impress these truths upon your heart. Lord, I thank you for the listeners. I know many of them are entrenched in conflict and some are trying to figure out the best way to navigate this with their children, with their parents, uh, with coworkers. May you cultivate humble hearts that each of us are willing to say, you know what, if Christ can come to this earth and take on flesh, then I can be humble as well. And give us wisdom for what that looks like and help us to honor you as we seek to resolve conflict, we pray in Jesus' name. This has been Transformed with Dr. Greg Gifford, a production of Gospel Partners Media. Our website, transform.org, is your central hub for finding in-depth information on all things transformed. If you've enjoyed Transformed with Dr. Greg Gifford, consider subscribing and sharing with your friends. And also prayerfully consider joining this labor of love by becoming an ongoing monthly gospel partner. Thank you for listening. And until next time, go serve your kids. Thank you.